English theologian J.I. Packer once said, once you become aware that the main business that you're here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Knowing God is the highest calling of mankind. It's the meaning of all human existence. It's the ultimate goal of every human life and the deepest yearning of every human soul. To know God is to know why you were created and just hope how profoundly loved and cherished you are. And yet because of sin, we were all born into this world not knowing him. Even worse, we cannot even get to know him on our own. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Under your own steam, you cannot reach God. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church, sang in the choir, gave in every offering, or even lived a good life. There is nothing you can ever do under your own power to get to God. When you stand before Christ, after this life has run its course, he isn't going to ask you which church you attended or how many people you prayed for or how many wonderful things you did in your lifetime if you never actually knew him. Your religious upbringing is of zero value to your eternity if you do not know Jesus, which is why he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. So people who prophesied in his name, people who cast out demons in his name, people who did mighty works in his name, he calls those same people workers of lawlessness. Why? Because they never knew him. You see, you can't get to God on your own terms, no matter how hard you try or how religious you may be. That's the bad news. The good news is he knows that. And so instead of waiting for us to work our way to him, he came to us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to pursue a relationship with us, and he's been at it ever since. This is God's relentless pursuit. The fact that he longs for a relationship with you, and yet knowing you cannot get to him on your own, he pursues you. Jesus said it, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. You understand, you are his relentless pursuit. Well, doesn't God have anything better to do with his time? No. No, he doesn't. In fact, he created time itself for you, which is why there is a yearning to know God present in every human soul. And yet out of arrogance and ignorance, we naturally search in vain to fill that void with everything but Christ, even though he is the only remedy, the only satisfaction for what ails the human race. A.W. Tozer once wrote, the yearning to know what cannot be known, 
to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable arises from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calleth unto deep, and though polluted and landlocked by the mighty disaster theologians call the fall, the soul senses its origin and longs to return to its source. How can this be realized? The answer of the Bible is simply through Jesus Christ our Lord. God came to us in the incarnation. In atonement, he reconciled us to himself, and by faith and love we enter and lay hold on him. You see, knowing Jesus is the only recompense, the only restitution for our sin-stained souls. Knowing Him is the only pathway to peace and fulfillment and truth because knowing Him puts every other aspect of our lives into its proper perspective. In fact, there is no other way to correctly understand this world or our place in it apart from knowing Jesus Christ. And yet we cannot know Him on our own terms. The truth is, it is impossible for man to get to God through human effort and understanding alone, which is why Jesus said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Luke 18, 24 through 27. It's why he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. And of course, he also said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, 44, which is also why the Apostle Paul said, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We can't take credit for coming to God. He comes to us. We cannot get to God on our own, which is why he continues to relentlessly pursue the lost. Because listen, lost people don't know they're lost. Not until God draws them to himself and ultimately reveals himself to them through his word, as we're going to see in our story today, as we continue our sermon series, working our way through 1 Samuel. And here's why that should be a profound burden in your life today, if you're a Christian. Because the way God draws people to himself is through you. That's why... It is absolutely critical that we are in tune with the Spirit of Christ inside of us because the desire of the Spirit of God within you is to relentlessly pursue the lost through you. Because lost people don't know they're lost until someone shows them the way. And that someone is you and me as the Holy Spirit guides us. And so look... uh, This may rub some people the wrong way. The fact is, the truth has a way of doing that. Uh, If you can't remember the last time you told a lost person about Jesus, well, then the chances are you're not listening to his voice in your life or following his leading from day to day because his desire is to relentlessly pursue the lost through you. Listen, when it comes to making disciples, you understand there's no downtime, there are no breaks from telling other people about Jesus, bearing witness 
to the lost about Jesus Christ and his gospel should be a matter of course in our daily lives. It should always be on your mind and ever in your heart to share the love of Christ and the truth of Christ with those who have never experienced either because the lost don't know they're lost until someone shows them the way. And as we'll see as we jump back into the story where we left off last time, uh, that's exactly what we see happening in Samuel's life. So let's read it together. First Samuel uh, chapter 3, beginning with the first nine verses. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, uh, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So I went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. My son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So Samuel, still a young boy at this point in the story, and yet he's carrying out the priestly duties in the tabernacle or the temple of the Lord as Eli's health is fading. And it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word rare, yakar, in the ancient Hebrew is literally translated as precious or highly valued. So <clears throat> it carries both the idea uh, that the word of God in those days was not only rare in the sense of being infrequent, but also rare in that it was invaluable or precious. And yet during the period of the judges, the time period of this story, the nation of Israel was characterized by wanton sin and disobedience to God and his law. And so as valuable as God's word to his people was, the severe infrequency of it at the time amounted to a curse against Israel, as the prophet Amos points out in Amos 8.12. And on this particular night then, Samuel's sleeping just outside of the veil before the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, so he could tend to the lamp of God, which had to be tended in order to burn every day from evening until morning, according to the Torah obligations in Leviticus 24.3, also in Numbers 18.23. And so the fact that the lamp... Uh, had not yet gone out means that it was sometime before dawn, according to Exodus 27, 20 through 21. So sometime during the night, something happens to Samuel that, as far as we know, had never happened before. God himself calls out to the boy. And so Samuel jumps up and runs to Eli and says, here I am. And Eli wakes up and says to Samuel, I didn't call for you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed until the Lord calls Samuel again, calls him out by name. And again, Samuel jumps up and runs to Eli and says, here I am, for you called me. To which Eli again responds, I didn't call for you, go back to bed. 
And Samuel goes back to bed. And then a third time, the Lord calls to Samuel. And for the third time, Samuel jumps up and runs to Eli and says, Here I am, for you called me. Except this time was different because Eli, probably fully awake now after being woken up three times, perceives that it was the Lord calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And what's intriguing about this interaction is the fact that the Lord is not only calling Samuel, but it is Samuel who hears the voice of the Lord, not Eli, and yet it is Eli who perceived the voice of the Lord, who perceived that it was the Lord calling. Now, uh, just think about that for a moment. Samuel is the one serving functionally as the priest. Eli's health is failing, so Samuel's carrying out the priestly duties, at least some of them, and obviously he takes it very seriously and performs it very faithfully as he gets up every time he thinks Eli is calling him and runs to Eli in the middle of the night. And it is also uh, Samuel who is staying in the holy place, right? Not Eli, which means at this very moment in the story, Samuel is literally the closest person to the presence of God, physically and religiously. There's no one else in all of Israel as close to the presence of God himself as Samuel. And yet even when God himself calls out to Samuel multiple times by name, Samuel doesn't have a clue that it is God calling him. Why? Verse 7 Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel did not know God, even though he was as close to the presence of God as you could possibly get, even though he was serving God diligently, ministering to the Lord, as verse 1 says, even though his behavior could not have been more faithful to the house of God or the people of God, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and so he could not recognize God's voice even when God spoke directly to him. You see, Samuel knew all about God, but he didn't know God, which I believe is a perfect description of a lot of people in the church today, just as it was then. Because look, you can be as faithful to the church and the ministry as Samuel was. You can serve other people just like Samuel did. And you can be as diligent and sincere about all of that as he was. And all the while, you can be as lost without God while you're doing all of those wonderful things, just like Samuel was. In fact, if you read that phrase in verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. If you read it in the Hebrew, it's the exact same phrase that is used to describe uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, uh, Eli's sons. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Okay, Eli's sons were worthless, disobedient abusive, evil men. We saw that in the last chapter. Samuel was a highly valued, obedient, respectful, faithful young man. And yet the exact same phrase is used to describe their relationship to the Lord. You see, Samuel didn't know God any more than Eli's sons did. You understand, when the Bible says that God pursues lost people, it's not always just lost people outside of the church. It's lost people inside of the church as well because God our Savior desires all people be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. Not just non-religious people, no. He wants everyone to actually know Him and that includes church people who maybe don't actually know Him yet. 
And so look, uh, if you don't recognize God's voice in your life, if his word doesn't speak directly to you, if there's no fruit of the spirit coming from you, as described in Galatians 5, and 23, then listen, uh, no matter how involved in the church or the ministry you may be, you might need to ask yourself, not, not do I know about him, but do I actually know him? There's a passage in Hebrews 4.1 that says, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He's writing to the church. That word fear, phabeo, in the ancient Greek, is the, uh, it means to be seized by alarm, terrified, in fact, afraid. It's entirely meant to convey an emotional state of being terrified at the prospect of anyone not truly being saved, even though they profess that they are. He's saying it's not enough to simply call yourself a Christian. It's not enough to simply attend church. It's not enough to simply participate in religious activities. You have to actually enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the fact that there are people who attend church meetings and participate in the life of the church and profess to be Christians without ever having actually entered into that relationship, well, that should rack you with fear. Fear that there are actually human souls all around us, even some in the church who are dying without the eternal hope of Christ. I've shared this quote with you by Charles Spurgeon several times before. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Maybe you're listening to this sermon today and thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not lost. I do know him. So, so what does this have to do with me? Well, I'll tell you, it has everything to do with you because the way God pursues the lost is through you. Listen, as weak in his zeal for the Lord as Eli had become, God still used Eli to introduce Samuel to the voice of God in his life. I understand. Listen, I understand your life isn't perfect. I understand sometimes maybe you struggle to serve God as you know you should. I understand you're not always the model Christian. Join the club. That should in no way, shape, or form ever stop you from introducing people to the voice of God in their lives. Because even in your own falling short of God's perfect standard for your life, He wants to and He will continue to pursue the lost through you. Even when you're broken. But that means, that means you have to care about the lost more than you care about yourself. Your fear of what happens to those without Christ must be greater than your fear of what might happen to you when you share Christ with them. We should be utterly terrified at the prospect that there's ever anyone in our sphere of influence who does not know Christ because we have never actually taken the time to tell them about him. British missionary Charles Studd, who gave up all of his family's wealth, prominence and promise for future fame and fortune 
in order to spread the gospel in China and Africa. Why? Because he cared more about lost people than he cared about himself. He once said this, Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That is the heart of a man who understood that God wanted to relentlessly pursue the lost through him, just like he wants to do through you. Let's keep reading verses 10 through 18. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So God calls Samuel. And then he calls Samuel by name. Now he appears before Samuel. The Lord came and stood. And he calls Samuel's name twice, which was actually quite significant, as we see in other places in Scripture. Anytime the Lord calls other people uh, by name twice, it was at a crucial point in their lives. Abraham in Genesis 22, 11. Jacob in uh, Genesis 46, 2. Moses in Exodus 3, 4, just to name a few. And so God clearly has Samuel's attention now as he says, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And again, in other places in the Old Testament, tingling ears are signs of an especially uh, severe judgment to come. Two examples being 2 Kings 21.12 and uh, Jeremiah 19.3. And then he delivers a profoundly disturbing message to Samuel intended for Eli about the fate of Eli and his entire family, which was a confirmation of the message already delivered to Eli by the man of God in 1 Samuel 2, 27 through 36, which was an opportunity, by the way, for Eli and his family to repent, right back in, in chapter 1, and yet they carried on business as usual. And so that willful rejection of the word of God has caught up to them, and, and now the tables have turned, where initially Samuel needed Eli to hear the voice of God in Samuel's own life. Now Eli needs Samuel to hear the voice of God in Eli's own life because while Eli has rejected the invitation of God to turn back in repentance to God and to faith in God, which of course leads to relationship with God, Samuel has done just the opposite. Samuel has embraced the word of the Lord in his life and as the result, as we'll see as the story continues to unfold, uh, the result is nothing short of remarkable. And yet the day before, Samuel was as lost as Eli's worthless sons. And listen, God pursued Eli and his sons as well through another believer, right? He sent the prophet, the man of God, to warn them. They had every opportunity 
to respond to that warning favorably. But in the end, Eli chose loyalty to his family over obedience to God, and he ends up paying for it dearly. And yet as poorly as Eli finished his journey on this earth, none of that changes the fact that Samuel was pursued by God through Eli. Right? Even in Eli's brokenness and dysfunction, God pursued Samuel through him. Uh, for all those years, Eli cared for and raised Samuel in the house of God, in the presence of God, in the ways of God. From the time Samuel was a toddler, and then when the time came, he pointed Samuel to the voice of God, which was Eli's job. Okay? As a believer and follower of Christ... It is your job to point other people to the voice of God and the presence of God and the ways of God. How? By sharing the love of Christ and the truth of Christ with them, even when it's hard for them to hear it. Eli obviously knew that Samuel wasn't going to like all of the truth of God's word. Why? Because some of it was really hard to accept. Eli was like a father to Samuel, and yet this was a hard word about Eli and his family, but Eli knew that all of God's word was true, not just the parts we like to hear. So he instructed Samuel, as hard as it was, not to ignore one single word of it. In fact, in the end, Eli humbly receives that word from God, as hard as it must have been. Okay, look, we all know, as good as the good news is of the gospel, there are still parts of it that are hard to hear. Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself. Repent of your sin. Renounce all that you have. Count it all as rubbish that you might gain Christ. Lay your life down for others. Oh, and by the way, there's absolutely no other way to be saved from the wrath of God that every single one of us deserves than to submit your entire life to Christ alone. For someone who is lost, that is not always easy to hear. It's not always easy for us to hear, which is exactly why the Spirit of God pursues us, draws us to Jesus and his gospel, because listen, we would never accept any of that on our own. We wouldn't. We must be drawn to it by him. That's, uh, that part is his job. Your job is simply to deliver the message, to offer the love of Christ and the truth of Christ to lost people. After that, listen, how they respond to that message. Well, that is not your burden to bear. I was having dinner one time with a group of people, some of whom I'd never met. And in the course of that meal, one of the people I'd never met, a very successful uh, older woman, asked me what I did for a living, to which I replied, I'm the pastor of a local church. She looked at me very inquisitively, and after explaining that she wasn't a particularly religious person, she asked me, what exactly does that job entail? Like, like, what is it you actually do every day? And I said, well, at a high level, if I'm doing it right, then I'm making disciples of Jesus Christ and teaching other people how to do the same. And then she said, okay, well, how do you make disciples of Jesus Christ? And I said, well, primarily by telling them about him and teaching them what he taught and then showing them how he lived. And then she asked, well, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? And so I explained, well, I did that in large part by teaching the Bible because the Bible is God's words 
written down to us. In fact, written down in three different ancient languages by 40 different authors in 66 different books over three different continents spanning across about 1,500 years of different cultures, different circumstances, different people groups, all with the exact same message that God is trying to tell us. And then she said to me, it's very interesting and then she leaned in, and with a hardness in her eyes, she asked, so then tell me, what is it that God is trying to say to me? And I looked into the eyes of that broken and lost soul, and with every ounce of compassion in me, I said to her, God is trying to tell you that he loves you. And before I could say anything else, before I could tell her about Jesus Christ, before I could even get to the, <laughs> the hard stuff, she turned away in her seat, and just like that, conversation was over. You understand, there will always be people who reject the truth about Jesus Christ, no matter how it is presented to them. Even when you try to dress it up to make it a more socially acceptable message, look, at the end of the day, you cannot make Jesus more acceptable to those who reject him by trying to make him look more like whatever you think it is they want to hear. In fact, in fact, the more you try to change the message of Christ to suit the masses, the more they will demand that you change it even further. That is exactly what's happening, by the way, in our culture today. But look, when you start changing the parts of the gospel you don't like to better suit your personal preferences. You're no longer following Jesus. You're following yourself, which is exactly what Eli did. And we'll see how it turned out for him. He was, he was more concerned with hurting his son's feelings than he was with saving their souls. And it's no different now. There are human souls without Christ all around us, eternally damned to hell by the wrath of God. They may not have died a physical death yet, but the sentence of hell is hanging over their heads like a guillotine ready to drop. And their only hope for salvation is the gospel. Why would we ever keep it from them? God help us if we're more concerned about people's feelings than we are about their souls. Okay, God relentlessly pursues people who are spiritually lost and he does that through us. That's our job to share the love of Christ and the truth of Christ to people who have never experienced either and what they do or don't do with that message. Well, that's beyond our control. Our job is to share it, all of it, regardless of how they respond. Evangelist Vance Havner once said, it is not our business to make the message acceptable but to make it available. We're not to see that they like it, but that they get it. Let's finish the story for today. Verse 19 to the end of the chapter. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Since, uh, uh, since the days of Moses, some 400 years before the time of Samuel, there were not many prophets uh, in Israel. Certainly there were no great prophets. And so God raises up Samuel 
as a prophet and priest and judge, bridging the gap between the time of the judges to the time of the monarchy. And as Samuel grew both physically and spiritually, he was recognized from Dan to Beersheba, from the northern to the southern borders of Israel. In other words, from one end of the kingdom to the other, Samuel's God-given authority was recognized and acknowledged as time and again his words given to him by God for the people were proven to be true, including this very hard word to Eli and his family which was the beginning of Samuel's rise to prominence in Israel, all because Samuel had a revelation of God, which is the point of the pursuit. You understand, God pursues the lost through us in order to reveal himself to those who do not know him. That's his part. Our part, when it comes to those who are lost, is to arrange the meeting. Right? God wants to use you strategically in other people's lives, not just so that you can have a relationship with them, but so that he can have a relationship with them, right? And so look, there's, there's not a single moment of time when you encounter someone who is without Christ, there isn't a moment of that encounter where the Spirit of God is not trying to pursue that lost soul through you. Why? In order to reveal himself to them because he wants to be in relationship with them, which means his purposes in those relationships. Listen, God's purposes in your relationships with the lost must always take precedence over your purposes in those relationships. It's a constant attentiveness and submission to exactly what the Spirit of God wants to say through you to the lost people in your life because that's how he reveals himself to the lost, through his word, whether that's his word spoken through you or through the scriptures as you share them or pray with them or counsel with them or simply, look, as you do life with them, it is constantly being aware of what the Spirit of God wants to say and is trying to say to them through you. And then through that revelation of himself by way of his word given through you, they will decide one way or the other, at some point, whether to accept or reject him, which is just what we've seen in our story uh, so far in Eli's life. We've seen it in his son's lives, in Hannah's life, in Samuel's life. Okay? We cannot choose whether or not people accept God's word, but we can choose whether or not we share it with them. Author Ian Gardner said, The power of God has never left his word. It is just that we've prevented it from reaching its intended destination. Knowing God is the highest calling of mankind. It is the reason we exist. To know God is to understand the meaning of life and to experience life the only way we were ever intended to experience it. So why why would you ever keep that to yourself? Because listen, lost people don't know they're lost. And they never will if someone doesn't show them the way. And of course, that someone is you and me. As God pursues them relentlessly through us. And so when it comes to making disciples, there's just there's no downtime. There are no breaks from telling other people about Jesus. It should always be on your mind 
and ever in your heart to share the love of Christ and the truth of Christ with those who have never experienced either because the lost will never know they're lost until you show them the way as God relentlessly pursues them through you. Let's pray.